When Sophia's brother Angelo stops by for a quick visit, everyone has a role to play in presenting lives that he, a priest, would find acceptable. But God's will has other plans, trapping the lot of them in the house while a hurricane washes over. Will Angelo find out all of the secrets everyone is keeping? Will everyone else find out Angelo's secret? Will Blanche go by Sister Victoria as she has panty-related secrets? Find out all of that and more in today's episode, My Brother, My Father. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go, I hope you know you'll always be my sisters. As we have been doing a lot lately, we're starting out in the kitchen. This time, Sophia, in a purple and blue dress protected by an apron, is cooking lasagna al forno, which is what us uncultured American swine call lasagna. Blanche once again rocking her all gold from when her daughter was in town, and Rose, in a white floral dress and Pepto-Pink cardigan, are taken by the smell of the delicious meal. Sophia's great aunt used to say that eating lasagna is like crossing a river. If you roll up your pants, you might get clams biting at you. There's no telling what that actually meant, as her great-aunt had a drinking problem and didn't always make sense. Ellen is here. <laughs> Charlie and I used to get high back in the day. Apologies, it's Dorothy in a mint tunic, and she can't wait to hear how Blanche and Rose's audition went for the upcoming community theater performance of Sound of Music. According to Blanche, it was awful, as they only got two minimal parts— Rose clarifies, they're happy to have the parts they got. Blanche is just pissed that for the first time in five years, she won't be playing the lead. That's because for the first time in five years, they have a new director and he's gay. So Blanche can't sleep with him, which had been what earned her the leading roles in the past. Wow, she really does find ways to earn applause after sex. As mad as she is, Blanche is equally shocked there's a gay theater director pointing out how silly that is, as theater spaces have always been a haven for the queer community. Dorothy jokes, geez, what'll be next? Black basketball players in the NBA? Of course, there aren't statistics on the sexual identity of theater directors, but 73% of the NBA is comprised of black players, and I feel like those numbers are pretty comparable. Smelling her mother's cooking, Dorothy isn't as taken by it as her friends. She knows this isn't a dish Sophia is making for someone she's sweet on. This is her big occasion and or favor-asking meal, so Dorothy knows something is up. Even when Sophia assures her the 16-hour dish means nothing, Dorothy won't have it. Even when Sophia leaves the kitchen to get the door, Dorothy won't have it. She knows that since there isn't a funeral going on, Sophia must need a favor. Finding Stanley on the other side of the door only proves Dorothy's right to be concerned, especially when Sophia greets him kindly instead of in Yiddish or with a mean joke. 
welcoming her favorite ex-son-in-law into the house, Dorothy is even more confused. What's to be confused about, Sophia wonders. She's the one that invited Stan over for dinner. Not taking a single jab, Sophia actually compliments Stan on his newest toupee. He's gone fancier with the news anchor Dan Rather style. Always seeking validation, Stan asks Dorothy if the hair makes him look smart. Oh, it sure does, she assures him. Canceling out that intelligence is the fact that his zipper is down. Dorothy quells Stan's embarrassment by assuring him that Dan Rather, his hair inspiration, must have the same issue as he's always sitting behind that desk. Back to the issue at hand. Dorothy's favorite food paired with her least favorite person. Clearly, there's something going on. Well, she was right. It's a favor Sophia's needing. Her brother Angelo, the priest, is coming to town on his way to visit the rest of the family in Brooklyn. While in the States, he wants to see as many members of the Grisanti family as he can. And what wonderful timing, as it just so happens to be Dorothy and Stan's 40th wedding anniversary. Always so astute, Stan reminds Sophia there's not an anniversary because they aren't married. Okay, let's get this plot whoopsie out of the way now. According to the first episode, they had been married for 38 years and already divorced for a year or two, and this was about two years ago, so they should be closer to like a 44th anniversary. But what even is time, man? And that's why Sophia's been working on a pasta dish for most of the day. Because of her brother's visit, she needs the Zbornaks to act like they live in the house together as a married couple, as to not disappoint her priest brother that they're divorced. Stan won't stand for it. That is until Sophia offers him 50 bucks. That was pretty easy. She knows the hard job is going to be convincing Dorothy. Please, she begs, don't break my brother's heart. It'll only be for a few hours. The pleas fall on disgusted ears. Just the idea of having Ben, let alone role-playing, that they're married makes Dorothy sick. As Dorothy walks away, Sophia pulls out the big guns. I'll never speak to you. I'll take you out of the will. But nothing works. Realizing Stan would never say no to a free meal, Sophia threatens to invite him over every night forever. Fine. Dorothy can survive one evening. Hello, friend. Hello, Coco. I was realizing while watching that last week, Dorothy was paying her mom off at like 50 bucks to do something. And she's done it several times. And now here we have Stan getting paid off. And I had a little piff that that side of her mother was maybe part of what she was drawn to Stanley with. Wheeling and dealing sort of stuff? Yeah, kind of that like, uh, it, you know, there's there's some moxie to it. Oh, yeah, to be like, I'll get, I'll pay you money to do this thing Yeah, for I'm going to take care of stuff, and I'll do stuff, and I'll get money and... Tell a lie. Yeah, I think I think that part, because Dorothy doesn't really have that, and I think that that's something of her mother's that she really didn't get, and then Stanley had. That, you know, like, oh, you date your father or your mom or whatever. This Not a, literally. No, but this is a terrific theory. Anyway... I just, uh, that just caught my attention because it was back-to-back -back weeks with these 50s flying around. Or maybe like the shadiness a little bit because Dorothy doesn't go there. Yeah, that it's like a little walk on the on the wild side or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And like not caring because Dorothy does care more about yeah, it's people in it's, general. Yeah, it's relatively safe. But yeah, maybe they're, they're equal um, 
level of ethics or whatever yeah. is like is a is a match. Yeah. And I think that's what caught Dorothy's uh, attention. And I mean, and later on, he's there's a part where he's pretty charming, I think. Yeah. He's very sweet. Stan is a real conundrum because you hear about how he treated her in the marriage and the fact that like she wasn't conscious when they had sex. So you're like, this guy's the worst. And then by the end of this episode, you're like, oh, he's a handsome little charmer. He's a, a, and a large man. Herb Edelman was six foot five. A colossus of a man. <laughs> Wonderfully bald. <laughs> yeah, he's got that real flat back of the head going on. Laid on his back too much as a baby. <laughs> that was a different parenting style back in <laughs> now the, the hair just 20s laser. when he was born. Oh, he's born in 33. That's fun. Is that during the Depression? I think so, yeah. That is fun. <sighs> it's an unusually blustery day in Miami when we find Blanche in her matching teal pants and obscenely droopy blouse over a coral pink top sitting on the couch reading her script when Rose, wearing one of my favorite sweaters of hers, decorated with a little pink house, palm trees, and a picket fence, along with purple pants, comes in, carrying their newly cleaned and pressed costumes. Blanche is feeling stressed about her lines, so she asks Rose to go through a scene with her. As she stands on the balcony, hearing the sounds of war, because I think the sound of music takes place during World War II. Coco, I didn't do any research on the film because I've never known what it's about, and I'm very sorry to the listeners I do care about research, but I'm sure you probably already know about the musical. Coco, do you know anything about Sound of Music? I know that it's, it stars Julie Andrews. Yeah. And Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a musical the whole way. I know there's that one part where she sings. I don't know if they sing throughout. I but think it definitely it's... takes place during World War, II, World War II because Christopher Plummer plays a Nazi, I believe. Wait, he's a Nazi? I think so. Isn't he the dad of Devon? Oh no, Devon he's the, Trapps, he a good are they guy? all Nazis? I don't know. I've I've said the wrong thing here. Hey, I don't know. Maybe he isn't a Nazi. All I know Maybe is Devon Trapps guy. come to the Christmas singing at Pioneer Square, and we go to that and see them. And yeah, the real ones, right? Yeah, they're like the great grandchildren. Because it's a true story. I don't know what the true story is though. <sighs> singing through the war. I I I've never had a desire to watch that movie. No one's ever pushed it on me. And think, thankfully, my parents have never been, were never musical people. I mean, they, I think they would rather have like a stranger scream in their face <laughs> than watch a musical, especially my dad. Going to the back of the living room, Rose belts out her line, the Nazis are coming, the Nazis are coming. Well, this has Sophia thinking she's gone back to Sicily and it's July 10th, 1943, when they were invaded by Nazis. Because here she comes, scampering out of the kitchen in a purple dress and black cardigan. She gives the order for everyone to grab a gun and head for a non-existent basement. Helping their friend calm down after such an intense trigger, Blanche and Rose helps her take a seat on the couch. Not to naysay anyone's sensitivities, but wasn't she living in the States by then? Once they make sure she's okay, they let her know they were just rehearsing. When Dorothy comes home, shaking off the rain and commenting on how it's really coming down, Rose is curious as to what it is that's coming down. Annoyed that Rose should have known what she was talking about, Dorothy shouts, The Marquis for Liberace at Caesar's Palace in Vegas. Which at the time, it would have been, as Liberace had passed away from AIDS. 
We have Liberace to thank for the residency concept in Vegas. He was the first to have one all the way back in 1944. After decades of performing in different hotels for extended periods, his final two-week gig was at Caesars in August of 1986. So until we meet again, ladies and gentlemen, I'll find you in the morning sun and when the night is due I'll be looking at the moon but I'll be seeing you I have a Christopher Plummer update Oh yes so he does, he does play Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music, who was a Austro-Hungarian war hero. They fought against the Germans. Oh. And he did not play a Nazi. Oh, opposite. But of... I think because we watched uh, a movie with him just last week. Where he one was called, a Nazi. Where he was a Nazi, yes. <laughs> Thank you for that update, Coco. Sophia can't be concerned about the weather. She's too worked up about Stan's location as Angela will be arriving any second and he's still not there. Dorothy isn't phased. She knows Stan and knows he has a proclivity for running late, just like she was after her first date with him. Complete this famous saying, better late than... Blanche! Pregnant! Not that Sophia needs any reminders as to how her daughter ended up marrying such a no-good, low-down prince who has finally arrived after being stuck in storm-induced traffic. Happy to see his ex in a yellow and floral skirt and purple sweater, Papa Bear makes himself at home with Mama Bear. In response, she shares that simply looking at him makes her want to puke. Another doorbell ring has Sophia in a tizzy. She knows it's Angelo, so she shoos everyone out of the room. The reason Rose and Blanche have to run and hide isn't because the Nazis are coming. Rather, to keep Sophia's story straight, this has to be the home of the married Zbornaks. Opening the door, Sophia finds her very Italian brother, and they greet each other with a hug. It's our first visit from Uncle Angelo, played by comedian William Slathmary, a.k.a. Bill Dana. He didn't have an accent like Angelo, but he was famous for playing the oh boy of a character, Jose Jimenez. Now tell me, Jose, when you return to Mars, where will you be landing? I am going to be landing in Nevada. I am convinced that they will get me back to work. Just how far into it? <laughs> That's what I'm not convinced about. But Jose, surely, they must have provided something to break your fall. Oh, yes, the state of Nevada. State of Nevada. That character and his other stand-up work earned him appearances on all of the late-night shows. His comedy writing got him jobs as well, even leading to the creation of the classic TV show, Get Smart. Bill's writing credits included The Steve Allen Show, The Bill Dana Shows, Matlock, Donnie and Marie, All in the Family, and The Smothers Brothers. He was an actor on Empty Nest, Blossom, St. Elsewhere, The Facts of Life, Fantasy Island, Macmillan and Wife, Love American Style, Get Smart, The Courtship of Eddie's Father, Laughing, and of course, The Bill Dana Shows. His birth name was William S- S- Slathmary. Slazmary. 
And then he had that character, the Jose Jimenez, and they tweaked it a little, and that became the Get Smart character. So we have him to thank for Get Smart, and I loved Get Smart, which led to Police Story, which led to Naked Gun, which led to Leslie Nelson's career, which led to him being in the finale of Golden Girls. (gasps) And your favorite, Scary Movie 3. (laughs) That's right. What for? Mice? Mice? I thought she had rats. No, rats are outside. Mice are inside. Yo, but what if a mouse goes outside? Does it become a rat? And if a rat is in the house, is it a mouse? I ain't never seen no mouse outside. That's what I'm saying. That's because it's a rat, fool. Hey. Yo, you might have just made a fact just now. That's some real After so many years apart, everyone is delighted to see each other. Angelo can't stop spilling the compliments. Sophia jokes his priesthood should keep him away from such lies, but he's feeling rambunctious. It's okay anyway. He prayed ahead of time for any sinning he might do overseas. Because that's how that works. When Angelo claims Dorothy looks even better than her wedding 40 years ago, Stan points out that he'll have to do some more praying as he's now used up his buffer. Oh, Stan, you jokester. Angelo hopes Stan keeps his wife laughing, but she can't say that he has since she hasn't seen him naked for a while. Wanting to know how his great niece and nephew are, we get an update on Kate and Michael. We don't know if Kate is still married to Dennis, the podiatrist, but she's found success doing interior decorating in New York, and Michael's musicianship has earned him a spot on the Boston Philharmonic, something that still pains Stan. He would have loved to see his son follow him in the fake puke business. Kudos to Dorothy here. Unlike, well, basically any mother I know, she didn't answer that question, focusing solely on their love lives. It wasn't all Kate and Dennis are married and trying for a baby so she can stay at home, and Michael's dating around but just hasn't found that special someone. Nope, just their careers that they've worked hard for and should be celebrated for, and that's pretty cool. Offended by the joke made at his expense, Stan defends his plastic poop palace, saying it kept a roof over their heads, food on the table, and provided a comfortable life for their family and, Dorothy adds, several flight attendants. When that quip confuses Angelo, Sophia hops in, saying the family adopted them, and that after Asian babies, oh boy, flight attendants are the most popular adoptees. First, you can't say that. Coco and I have learned, thanks to quarantine TV, that adults can adopt other adults. There was a very short-lived program on A&E about that subject. Coco hated it. Unfortunately, I could not pursue that that first young lady because I actually started having feelings for her. She was very... I hated it. <laughs> it was extremely disturbing, very depressing, and just laid out open. You could see everyone's issues just right there. And it made it was sad. It's a sad. It's a sad thing. Yeah. It, it, it'll haunt your dreams. It really will. It'll <laughs> give you like it'll give you bad dreams. Yeah. Don't uh, do that. It was it was it's the show usually... was canceled very quickly because it was so problematic. And it was also confusing because we were like, what is the point if someone's an adult? Why do they need to be adopted? What is that? I know before gay marriage was legal in the States that couples would do that so that they had like some legal bounds. But. You could really tell that the, the the makers of that show were not interested in any depth. Yeah, no. They just wanted the exploitation factor, of which there was just a a, a limitless well <laughs> of awful awful choices and t-shirts. It's terrible. Adopt a cat. 
<laughs> or like a baby if you're needing. Get a baby. There are plenty of babies There's to so adopt many and you babies. could end up with a cocoa of your own. How That's lucky right. would that be? Look at this. I was adopted and I'm real cute. <laughs> you are. Six feet tall and uh, handsome, I can, strongly bearded. I can carry all the groceries in at once. Yeah. I've never done that living in this home, but I can do it. <laughs> the groceries are in before I even get a chance. You're so strong. You oh, do thank it. you. <laughs> Hucking them in there. Big ropey muscles just <laughs> flexing. <laughs> you can't say that. Is that good? <laughs> Secondly, there was a wave of Asian adoptions in the 70s and 80s. They had started because there were so many mixed babies abandoned by their U.S. military fathers who were in Korea during the war. So they were sent to the U.S. for adoption. This started a bit of a craze, and by the 80s, over 100,000 Korean babies had been sent to America to be adopted. Already miserable, Dorothy asks her mother to join her in the kitchen. Before she can make her escape, Stan grabs Dorothy's hand, begging for her quick return as to keep Papa Bear from getting wonely. Using her favorite trick, Dorothy then crushes his hand before continuing on to the kitchen. Trying to be optimistic, Sophia cheers that she thinks everything's going to be okay. Dorothy does not. She wants to be honest and done with the whole thing. Before the argument can continue, Angelo comes in to get a drink of scotch to take his heart medicine. Seeing a chance for honesty, Dorothy starts to confess. As a professional secret hearer, Angelo suggests he get his drink and they head for the closet as they can use it as a temporary confessional. No, it's not that kind of confession. It's about her and Stan. But before Dorothy can explain herself, Angelo has something he needs to say. On the day Stan and Dorothy wed, Sophia told him she was certain their marriage was doomed. But now, here he is, in the presence of a 40-year marriage, and it helps his heart almost as much as his medication and a shot of scotch does. Side note, all of this heart conversation had Coco certain that Angelo would not be making it through this episode. I don't like to call my shots, but I did on this because it just seemed the most apparent thing to ever happen in a sitcom. <laughs> They're talking heart pills. Doctors. He's very old. Good misdirect. You're usually pretty accurate on the show. You're like, oh, that might happen. Or you have your little guesses and they're usually spot on. So this was pretty funny because I've known this episode for so long that I don't know if I ever thought that. I maybe did. To hear someone watching it the first time and he's like, oh, my doctor told me I shouldn't come here and oh, my weak heart and all that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. they are setting that up this for him to die. This guy is dead. <laughs> he may already be a ghost. <laughs> so happy to report everyone. Angelo survives the episode. We're down on the plane and he has a ghost. Ah! Learning that Angelo has come across the globe against the wishes of his doctors, making a special stop in Miami just to see them celebrate their love, Dorothy doesn't know what to say. So when Stan joins them, she realizes that lying for a few hours is better than breaking the heart of or possibly even killing her uncle. So she grabs Papa Bear and gives him a big old hug. Stan isn't sure what's going on, but he's happy to play along. As the storm continues to rage, the happy family is in the living room, enjoying cake and coffee. Angelo doesn't want seconds, but sweetheart Stan does. Leaning into the pet names a little too hard, Stan calls Dorothy darling, then begs for his dumpling's quick return. To which she responds in one of my favorite Dorothy moments, My feet have wings, barf bag. 
sealing it with a kiss to her pinky. In the kitchen, Sophia begs once again for Dorothy to keep it together. They only have a little bit longer to go before he'll be leaving for his flight. Then, from the back door, it's a bird, it's a plane, no, it's Blanche and Rose in nun habits. Their costumes for The Sound of Music seem to have been inspired by the Sally Field 1967-1970 to sitcom The Flying Nun, with the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul headwear and everything. The ladies are drenched from the storm, but that doesn't answer Dorothy's question about why they're dressed as nuns and carrying their clothes. Well, it isn't good news. You heard me right, Sven. They were at the theater in the middle of rehearsal when it was announced a hurricane was coming and everyone had to get home. That's when Uncle Angelo surprises them all by coming into the kitchen to get cake as he has changed his mind and wants seconds. He's delighted to see the sisters, so they do introductions. This is Sister Rose, Sister Blanche. Looking over their situation, Angelo is too polite to ask what the hell is going on. So Blanche, holding up her own beige bra, informs him that they are there as good sisters of charity to collect lingerie for needy, sexy people. A top ten classic Blanche line. Blanche can't bring herself to look at Angelo. Rose can't look away from Blanche. Joining the party, Stan is here. And yes, Sven, the news is bad. Stop asking. A hurricane is headed for Miami. Airports are closed. A stay-inside warning has been issued. It only takes a second for Dorothy to realize this means that they aren't playing pretend for a couple of hours. It could go on for a couple of days. As Blanche processes the information, she lets out an, Oh, Jesus! before realizing the company she's in. Covering for her little slip of that whole name-in-vain commandment, she cleverly covers it as though she was starting a prayer. The prayers are wrapped up, but the storm isn't. Time has passed, and now the congregation has taken up the couch, consisting of Sister Blanche, Father Angelo, and Sister Rose, who is feeling a little nervous as this was her first encounter with a hurricane. Oh, but Blanche assures her there's nothing to worry about. In fact, back when she was married, she had a pretty good time during one. Oh, sorry, Angelo. Mary, when she played Mary in a play at the church. Rose vouches for her story, and Stan supports the idea of Blanche being a skilled actress. She'd have to be for anyone to think she was a virgin. Angelo can't believe the disrespect. Dorothy can, and helps herself to some name-calling of her own, calling him a pig in a cheap suit, and saying that for just two cents he could get a better hairpiece. This tears it. Stan is now the one who doesn't want to be there anymore. But before he can out everyone, Sophia distracts the crowd with an apparent sighting of Coco's pal, St. Francis of Assisi. Look over there! If you've ever been to a religious place and saw a guy, a statue of a guy in a brown robe, I believe he has a bald head and there's like animals flying all over him. You got an Assisi. Taking advantage of the moment, Sophia grabs Stan by his tie, pulls him down to her level, and slaps him, making sure he gets the message. Wanting to avoid any more close calls, Sophia insists it's time for everyone to go to bed, and Angelo will be staying with her. It's much more comfortable than back at home. They only have to sleep with two in the bed, not six, and they aren't even under a bridge. Everyone starts heading down the hall, including Stan, who obviously can't go home. 
as he gets closer to Dorothy, there's some sort of violence that takes place off camera, forcing Stan to let out a groan and shuffle back to the sofa with pillow and blanket in hand. Later in the night, Dorothy's in bed when there's a knock at her door. It's Uncle Angelo, and he's come to ask her a favor. He's discovered a sad, sofa-sleeping Stan, and begging as a man of the cloth, he wants them to share their bed. In not really an oh boy, but I guess a bit of a spicy joke, Dorothy says that the religious man begging for sex has her feeling like sexual assault victim Jessica Hahn. It was in late 1980 when 21-year-old Jessica, who was a secretary at the PTL, or Praise the Lord Church, which was run by Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, she accused Jim and a fellow preacher, John Fletcher, of drugging and assaulting her. It's a family show, so I know I don't need to say the R word. Jessica was given what would be close to 700000 in today's money for her silence. Eventually, the church's financial documents were discovered to be less than holy, and Jim Boy had to resign before going to prison for eight years. He later claimed the sex with Jessica was consensual. You, saw are a dirtbag! Uh. Dorothy explains to Angelo that the couple had a fight and she doesn't want Stan around. But after more begging, she finally gives in and lets Stan stay. Making himself comfortable on the edge of the bed he assumes he'll be sleeping in, Dorothy corrects Stan with a kick to the floor, where he and every other dog should be sleeping. Unless that dog is our sweet little baby, Rosie. (laughs) I cannot imagine trying to get her to not sleep on the bed. There's no possibility I feel like even when when it's going to be 100 degrees this weekend, she will be under the blankets at my feet. Yeah, we'd have to get another bed. Enraged, Stan isn't so upset about the bed, but that he's having to work so hard to get a woman. Usually they come to him. And that's because, according to Dorothy, he's paying for sex workers. With a good night and a shut up, Dorothy turns off the light and Stan gets comfortable on the floor. Within a few seconds, though, he's chuckling, leaving Dorothy concerned he's playing with his own Mr. Ha-Ha or fishing in the river of pepperoni playing hide the salami and she won't have it where does one hide the salami solo in your little handy your hand handy no salami. further questions handy salami all right <laughs> i mean does it you'd have well then it does appear well Unless hey i don't it. know who's what people's situations are that's true it could fit it could and so. that'd be plenty <laughs> But that's not what he's up to. He was laughing at a honeymoon memory, the first of many times he would be kicked out of bed and forced to the floor. Coco, in your relationships through the years, have you ever been either kicked out of bed or asked your person to leave or just removed yourself? I have removed myself many times. That's what I like to do. When it gets bad like that, <laughs> I'm, I need to be in another room. Don't try to... Don't try to, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to sleep on a couch. So you're happy to take some space for yourself. That's, it's necessary for me to be able to be. But it, it hasn't ever been requested, like, out of anger? From someone? I don't think so. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I, I, it's so foggy. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff, I just uh, put in a dustbin. Yeah. <laughs> and kicked it down a hill. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good that you know that you need to take space when you need that. Yeah, I just well, because it's just like I need to be able to like just think about what what the thing is, right? And then formulate my words about it. Yeah, I can't you just, just need processing. I time. can't just come off the top of my head. I'm no 
I'm no Marshall Mathers. <laughs> I need to write down some rhymes before I spit. Thank you. I can't dance. I wear black pants. My middle name's Lance. My grandma's from France. So maybe I'm whack because my skin ain't black. But you can't talk smack because Whitey just struck back. For Stanley, this occurred at a resort in the Poconos, a mountain town in Pennsylvania. I don't think the official tagline was where every cottage is April in Paris and, oh boy, every bathroom is like Calcutta in July, which I'm pretty sure is a reference to the heat of India and the effects that their food can have on Western bowels and perhaps the less than desired quality of the bathroom at the resort, which earns an oh boy because we don't talk about other cultures like that, Dorothy. To remedy that situation 40 years ago, he started singing I've Got a Crush on You, which got him back into bed, just as he's doing right now, only this time, Dorothy isn't so gullible. I've Got a Crush on You was written by George and Ira Gershwin. It was originally used in Broadway shows, but soon became a jazz standard and successful song covered by Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, and others. I never had the least notion that I could fall with such emotion. When that doesn't work, Stan is left with one option, to whip out his big gun, which doesn't thrill Dorothy. She's seen it. But that wasn't the one he was talking about. He's moved on to another Gershwin song, Embraceable You. Another musical tune, it went on to find mainstream success with covers by Ella Fitzgerald, among many. Embrace me, you irreplaceable you. George Gershwin composed many a classic standard, such as Rhapsody in Blue, Summertime, and They Can't Take That Away From Me, before dying at just 38 years old. Before things can get too steamy, Ellen is here. Okay, well, I heard Janet Poindexter's a real bitch. Oh, wait, it's a distraught Sophia seeking solace after a nightmare. That nightmare being exactly what she's witnessing, Dorothy and Stan in bed together. To keep a distance between her divorced daughter and ex-son-in-law that she's forced to pretend to be married to for the night, Sophia climbs into the bed, making herself the center of a Zabornak sandwich. And if Stan tries to crawl over her, she'll be like the Berlin Wall, which would come down just a year later. And she'd put barbed wire betwixt his legs. This works out well for Stan as he gets to sleep in a bed as opposed to on the ground. And luckily for everyone, Sophia arrived during Gershwin songs, he had apparently skipped over his usual starter of Cole Porter, composer of hits like Anything Goes, So In Love, and I Get a Kick Out of You, and he went straight for the Gershwin. As the family settles in, the storm continues into the next morning. Blanche and Rose are still in their outfits as to keep up the ruse. Blanche answers the phone, and it's her friend, Walter. They're both horny as hell for one another, so Blanche is happy to alleviate some of his pressure by discussing her nun outfit she happens to be wearing. As Angelo comes in to help himself to breakfast, he's confused why Sister Blanche is sounding so rapturous. Thinking quickly, Blanche claims she'll be visiting that man later, and she's the only one who will touch him, seeing as he has leprosy, or what is now called Hansen's disease. 
She must have been inspired by Mother Marianne Cope, who was honored with posthumous sainthood thanks to her 35 years of service at the leper colonies in Hawaii during the turn of the 20th century. With everyone awake and in the kitchen, Sophia, one of two in a new outfit, hers being a pink top and pants with seafoam green cardigan, is set to make breakfast, while Stan and Dorothy are surprised to hear that that day, the 25th, would have been their 40th anniversary, and Uncle Angelo, who apparently has the memory of an elephant, is sad for them that they're just stuck in the house on their big day. We haven't heard much from Rose this week. Let's see what memories she conjures up when she thinks of 40th anniversaries. Oh, it's of her parents when they celebrated their own milestone, and to mark the occasion, they renewed their wedding vows. In fact, that's what she thinks Stan and Dorothy should do. It's not only romantic, you've got a priest right here. As soon as she realizes there are no vows to be renewed, Rose shuts herself up. But it's too bad. Her dumb idea sounds marvelous to Stan. This leaves everyone shocked and Dorothy wanting a private chat in the living room. Renew vows? There are no vows intact. But Stan has an argument in favor for getting remarried. They've been stuck in the house for two days now. He remembers the fun they had. In bed, he felt more than just Sophia's knee being pushed into him. He felt something in his heart. He felt like maybe there was something still there between them. And here is a second chance being handed to them. What are the odds of being stuck with a priest on their anniversary? So why wouldn't they have him marry them? Then they could just go to the courthouse and be officially remarried. But before the words, sent us a priest, can leave Stan's mouth, Angelo is coming in from the kitchen saying, I'm not a priest, in his best Jared Leto Italian. Never confuse chocolate. They may look the same, but the taste, very different. Trust me, I know. Sophia is beyond shocked. Angelo has his own confession to make. He not only isn't currently a priest, but he never was one. Bum, bum, bum. About to pass out, Sophia takes a seat as Angelo asks us to picture it. Sicily, 1914. Angelo and Sophia's mother was dying. His final promise to her was that he would become a priest. On his way to go sign up, though, he stopped for a drink and the server caught his eye. She had an amazing body, mostly due to her magnificent booty, of which Angelo was focused on, and he felt like he couldn't commit to the priesthood. So he chose a butt over a dickie and was blissfully married for 72 years. It's so sad he couldn't have his love celebrated by his family. Oh, religion, when will you stop ruining things? Angelo's shame came from a fear he would be disowned if he hadn't kept his promise to his mother. But Sophia wouldn't have cared. She, too, had promised their mother she would marry the local organ grinder slash monkey hat maker, Benito. But she needed to live her life for herself. And now the big reveal of all of the secrets. Dorothy and Stan are divorced. Angelo is happy to hear it. He never liked Stan. And as far as the sisters, they're just gorgeous private citizens. That sends Angelo over the edge of trying to understand everything, so Sophia takes him into the kitchen to clear it all up. As the storm that was within the house starts to clear up, the hurricane is doing the same, which has Blanche giddily running out the door to go see Walter. She won't be changing first. Why would she, Rose? 
Seeing that there is still a hearty wind blowing and she too has her costume on, Rose is hoping to replicate the campy glory of Sally Field's flying nun. So she runs out hoping to catch some air. Right there, a nun in a uniform. I swear it, sir. A, uh, a nun? Yes, with a, a, a hat and everything. Mr. Corman, are you a very religious man? Well, yes, sir. Jewish, sir. So that doesn't explain it. Explain what? A vision, sir. Why not? Wouldn't I have seen a rabbi? <laughs> the outed exes are left alone on the couch. With everyone moving on, Stan realizes he should be heading home too. Seeing as just moments ago he was basically proposing a second marriage, Dorothy, understandably, wants to talk about it. Because, you know, they almost just did that. Oh, getting married, Stan responds? That was just a silly joke. It's not like he meant it. They both know he's a party guy and can't settle down. Before he leaves, Sophia tries to give him the 50 bucks he was promised, but he refuses it. This was as much a pleasure for him as it was helpful for her. Finding her daughter with a contemplative look, Sophia tries to comfort her by saying many people were confused by George Gershwin. Now, I don't know if that's a statement on his emotional music and the feelings it can bring up, or if it was in regards to his unknown and debated sexuality. Either way, she feels content and leaves her daughter to contemplate. The clear lesson this week is honesty and being loved for who you are. How sad that Sophia missed out on 72 years of not only celebrating her brother, but gaining a sister. They could have shared recipes. They could have visited more than every 40 years. But they didn't open up because they were scared of judgment and losing those people. To that I say... You already have. Obviously, there are situations where being honest and open can be detrimental. Just look at the number of LGBTQIA2S plus children that live on the streets because they were honest about who they are. But when you're an adult living your own life, you have to ask yourself, why do you want someone in your life if they don't love you for who you are? You only get one life, and to a certain extent, you have to live it for you. So be out, proud, open, and honest, and those that love you as you are will stay close, and those judgmental duties will just have to piss right off. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us for the next two weeks as we take a stroll down memory lane with Golden Moments. Sophia's great, great. I might have clicked my pen. Hello, friend. Hello. Wait, let me say that again. I closed my pop socket. It's an unusually blusty, blusty. Is that good enough for you? I'm sorry but, uh, for my, my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> As you should be. Angelo? Uh-huh. You said Angelo. I did. It's our first visit from Uncle Angelo, played by comedian... It's our first visit from Uncle Angelo, played by comedian William Sazbert. Nope. <laughs> played by comedian William Saz. <laughs> played by comedian. Played by. <laughs> and Michael's musician. She didn't answer his question solely focused on her children's love lives. Loves lives. Uh, children's love. Love lives. Loves lives. Loves lives. <laughs>
children's love lives. Or I could say their. The kids' love lives. Love lives. Love lives. And Michael is dating around, but he just hasn't found that special someone. Oh my God! Ghost priest on plane? Is that movie? <laughs> is that sentence? My folks, my folks spent a lot for me to maybe, hopefully, <laughs> one do do like a day do like okay. Did I say day do do do? They do, they do okay on Jeopardy. Bye. Yay. Ugg, wug, bug, shug. <laughs> Scary Movie 3. Would have been their 40th anniversary. <laughs> anniversary. You sound a little tired. Yeah. With everyone moving on, Stan Stand. Oh, getting married, Stan Repons. Stan Repons. This was as a... <laughs> Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.